Part 4. Fasting What is fasting? Biblical fasting is the act of abstaining from eating and drinking for a specific period of time. Christians use fasting to humble themselves before God and seek His intervention in their lives. Why is fasting important? Fasting has a tremendous impact on the way we approach God. By temporarily going without food and water, we are forced to acknowledge our own physical limitations. Even a short time without physical nourishment leaves us weak and painfully aware of our dependence on the daily bread that God provides. More than that, fasting refocuses us on an essential truth. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew 4 verse 4 We need physical food, yes, but we need spiritual food even more. Fasting reminds us that the spiritual food we need can only be found through God. As with all the spiritual tools available to us, our motivation for fasting is extremely important. We should never fast in an attempt to force God to take a specific action. We can't force God's hand. But fasting can and should be an expression of our earnest desire to see God's direct involvement in our lives. Chapter 11. Understanding and Defining Fasting Like meditation, fasting is a practice that has existed for thousands of years. And, like meditation, you'll find many conflicting ideas about what it is and what it's meant to accomplish. Of course, as Christians, we're interested in understanding how God defines fasting. But even that can be a little tricky. The Bible includes many references to and examples of fasting, but the practice is never explicitly defined. To come to a better understanding, we'll have to take a closer look at those references and see what we can learn from them. The Day of Atonement Provides Context The Bible's most prominent example of fasting comes from God himself. God had Moses instruct the nation of Israel about the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, Leviticus 23 verse 2, or sacred assemblies, verse 2 NIV. One of those sacred assemblies is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur in Hebrew. God gave special instructions for this holy day. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls. On the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. Verse 32. For one 24-hour period, from sunset to sunset, God expects his people to afflict their souls, a Hebrew idiom for fasting. In Hebrew, the soul, or nephesh, Strong's number H5315, is a reference to a creature or person as a whole, self, body, even corpse. Mounts' Complete Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words, page 996. Fasting is an action that afflicts or causes some amount of distress to our physical bodies. This command from God was not to be taken lightly. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. Leviticus 23 verse 29. This expression, being cut off from among his people, describes a divine punishment and implies the end of one's name or remembrance among the people of God. The Expositor's Bible Commentary, Revised Edition. Many of the fasts described in the Bible are clearly defined as abstaining from both eating and drinking for a set period of time. See Esther 4.16, Ezra 10.6, Acts 9.9, Exodus 34.28, 1 Kings 13 verses 8 through 9, and 2 Samuel 3.35. And the 24-hour fast on the Day of Atonement is also intended to be performed the same way, without food or any kind of drink. The Day of Atonement doesn't give us a precise template for what every fast should look like. 
It gives us some context for the practice of fasting, but it doesn't fully define it. For example, just because the Day of Atonement requires a 24-hour fast from sunset to sunset doesn't mean all our fasts must last for 24 hours or begin at sunset. The Bible highlights several fasts that lasted for shorter or longer periods and began at a different time. What is clear, however, is this connection between fasting and afflicting our souls. What makes that such an important element of fasting? Humility comes through afflicting our souls. One of the essential functions of fasting is its ability to humble us, and one of the biggest misunderstandings about fasting is how it humbles us. As the early church grew, one idea that wormed its way into the Christian way of thinking was that everything in our physical, material world is evil by definition. The goal of this philosophy, which eventually became known as Gnosticism, was to transcend our physical existence by reaching for the spiritual. Gnosticism promoted asceticism, a lifestyle marked by avoiding the physical pleasures of this life. Since Gnostics believe that our physical bodies are evil, some of them also believe that drawing close to God required punishing or weakening the body, something they felt could be accomplished through fasting. Paul attacked this false ideology when he wrote to the Colossians. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belonged to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Colossians 2 verses 20 through 22, NIV. It appears the Colossians had been convinced by the commandments and doctrines of men, verse 22, instead of God's word believing that they had to distance themselves from the physical things that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. 1 Timothy 4 verse 3. Paul was more blunt in his letter to Timothy, warning that these people were giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Verses 1 through 2. In his message to the Colossians, Paul continued explaining, these doctrines have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Colossians 2.23 ESV The Gnostics only sounded as if they knew what they were talking about, but in the end, they were abusing their bodies for nothing. After all, God made the physical world, an idea that the Gnostics rejected, and he sent his son to die for our sins as a physical human being, another idea that the Gnostics rejected. So it hardly makes sense that our physical existence is somehow tainted and evil. It's important for us to understand that fasting isn't about the physical punishment of our bodies. We don't get close to God by causing ourselves pain. How true fasting leads us to humility. What fasting does do is give us a proper frame of reference for approaching God. When we go for a time without eating or drinking, we get weak, our stomachs growl, we get tired, we don't have the energy to do the things we normally do. In so many ways, fasting becomes a reminder that we are frail, physical beings whose very existence depends on a host of factors outside of ourselves. We need food, we need water, we need shelter from the elements and a safe environment. Deprive us of any of those things for very long, and we will die. David wrote, As for man, his days are like grass. 
as a flower of the field so he flourishes, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. Psalm 103, verses 15 through 16. That stands in stark contrast to the eternal and almighty God, who needs none of the things we do. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah 40, verse 28. God doesn't get hungry or thirsty. He doesn't even get tired. He created the universe we live in, and his life is never in jeopardy. He is the everlasting, all-knowing creator. And when we come before his throne, we amount to little more than the grass or flowers of the field by comparison. Ezra proclaimed a fast that we might humble ourselves before our God. Ezra 8.21 When King Ahab fasted and went about mourning, 1 Kings 21.27, God remarked that Ahab has humbled himself before me, verse 29. King David likewise wrote, I humbled myself with fasting, Psalm 35, verse 13. Although the Jewish religion would later come to see regular fasting as an outward proof of humility, the scriptures show us that, instead, fasting is intended to bring us to a place of humility. In other words, the physical act of going hungry doesn't show God how humble we are. It humbles us by reminding us who we are before Him. Prayer is a key component of fasting. It's impossible to talk about fasting without also talking about prayer. As a spiritual exercise, fasting is about more than just being hungry. But if we're not taking that time to connect with God through prayer, then hunger is all we're going to accomplish. Fasting is frequently connected with prayer in the Bible. Ezra and his fellow Jews fasted and entreated our God, and he answered our prayer. Ezra 8.23 Daniel set his face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Daniel 9 verse 3 Anna the prophetess served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Luke 2.37 The disciples prayed with fasting. Acts 14.23 As they appointed leaders in the church's fledgling congregations. As we humble ourselves by afflicting our souls, we should be eagerly using that time to approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 4.16 NIV Fasting is a powerful tool that enables us to seek a closer relationship with God. But if we're not making the effort to speak with Him, then we're failing to use the tool properly. Refocusing on Spiritual Food Three of the four gospel accounts highlight the 40 days Jesus spent in the wilderness, where he fasted before the recorded spiritual confrontation with Satan the devil. See Matthew 4 verses 1 through 11, Mark 1 verses 12 through 13, Luke 4 verses 1 through 13. Matthew, in something of an understatement, records that when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Matthew 4 verse 2. This was the first and most obvious weapon available to Satan. He taunted Jesus, saying, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew 4 verses 3 through 4. That was a quote from Moses, who had also spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting before receiving the Ten Commandments from God. See Exodus 34 verse 28. 
On the border of the promised land, Moses reminded the Israelites, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. We touched on that concept in chapter 1, but fasting brings this lesson into much sharper focus. As we humble ourselves through fasting, our attention naturally drifts to our own physical limitations. But it's a mistake to stop there. Acknowledging our frailty is just a stepping stone on the way to the core lesson of fasting. Our physical food is far less important than our spiritual food. Spiritual food is easier, but more dangerous to neglect. It's easy to focus on our physical hunger. When our bodies are deprived of food and water, the discomfort is impossible to ignore. Spiritual hunger, on the other hand, rarely feels as urgent. It's easier to ignore it, dismiss it, or decide to do something about it later. Our bodies push us to take care of physical hunger immediately, but they allow us to ignore spiritual hunger indefinitely. Fasting can push us to examine that imbalance, to ask ourselves whether we've been neglecting aspects of our spiritual nourishment. Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, that is, Gehenna fire, Matthew 10.28. God is perfectly capable of bringing us back to life, either to a physical existence now or to a spiritual existence at the return of Christ. With the promise of our resurrection as followers of God, we can consider death in its greater context. The real danger that Jesus warned about is the result of spiritual starvation. God is the only one who can destroy both soul and body in the lake of fire. See Revelation 20 verses 14 through 15. A final and complete destruction of all those who choose to reject God's way of life. Read more in our article, What is the Lake of Fire? When we neglect so great a salvation, Hebrews 2 verse 3, as the one revealed to us by God, we begin to starve ourselves spiritually. If we stop making the effort to take in the spiritual nourishment we need from God's word, the damage to our relationship with God is extreme. Left unchecked, the end result is a kind of spiritual death, total disinterest or even disregard for God's word, leading to our ultimate destruction. Our physical survival needs have a way of feeling more urgent than anything else in our lives. Through fasting, we refocus and remember that our spiritual needs deserve even greater attention. What does spiritual food look like? Psalm 42 begins, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Verses 1-2, through two, NIV. The psalmist felt a longing to be in God's presence with all the intensity of someone experiencing extreme physical thirst. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus promised, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Matthew 5 verse 6. The way this is recorded in the original Greek puts a special emphasis on they, meaning they will be filled, but not others. In the end, the only ones who will be truly filled or satisfied are the ones who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. The ones who hunger and thirst for the spiritual food that only God can provide. When the disciples brought Jesus food to eat, he told them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. John 4.32 ESV 
The disciples were puzzled, especially since they had gone into town specifically to buy food after a long, exhausting journey. See verses 6 and 8. But Jesus was making a point. He explained, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Verse 34. Despite being the Son of God, Jesus Christ was human during his time on earth. He was wearied from his journey. Verse 6. There's little doubt that he must have been starving and ready for a good meal. But there was something important he wanted the disciples to understand. More than the physical hunger they were all feeling, Jesus had a spiritual hunger to do the will of his Father. That was where he drew his true strength and sustenance from. The food that they were about to eat was still physically necessary, but what really mattered, what Jesus hungered to do, was the will of God. When we fast, one of our primary goals should be to seek out and understand God's will in our lives, and then to act based on what we learn. When we take this approach, we avoid one of the core misunderstandings about fasting. We don't fast to make God do what we want Him to do. We fast to bring ourselves into alignment with the plans He has for us. Living Water and the Bread of Life While His disciples were out buying food, Jesus asked a Samaritan woman for a drink from a well, and then told her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. John 4.10 Like the disciples, the woman at the well missed the spiritual connection, wondering instead how Jesus intended to get water out of the well without a bucket. Jesus drove the point home, explaining that, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Verses 13 through 14. Later, he expanded on his thought in a way that made his audience extremely uncomfortable. He explained, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Moses explained that God had fed the Israelites with manna which you did not know, Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, bread from heaven which sustained them through their 40 years of wandering. But Jesus offers us more than physical bread. He told his listeners, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. John 6 verses 49 through 51 and 53 through 58. The imagery was disconcerting, and from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Verse 66. Today, it's easy to look back and understand that Christ was speaking metaphorically about the sacrifice he was about to make. His flesh and his blood would pay the penalty for our sins. And unless we eat that flesh and drink that blood symbolically, we have no life in us. 
Converted, baptized Christians memorialize this service every year at the Passover service, eating and drinking the unleavened bread and wine that picture his body and blood, just as he taught us to do. See 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. You can read more in our article, Passover, What Did Jesus Do For You? The body and blood of Jesus Christ are part of the spiritual food and drink we must be taking into our lives. Together, they are the sacrifice that open the doors of salvation to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Acts 2.39 As we fast, our goal should be to look beyond our physical existence, focusing instead on the spiritual food and drink that leads to eternal life. What we gain by looking beyond the physical Jesus also told the woman at the well, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. John 4.24 We are physical beings, living in a physical world, living physical lives. God is a spiritual being, living in a spiritual world, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light. 1 Timothy 6.16 He interacts with us in our physical existence, but he calls us to look beyond the world we know as we strive to understand the spiritual underpinnings of the universe he created. The physical is temporary. The spiritual is eternal. When Moses built the tabernacle, he made it according to a pattern shown to him by God. But the author of Hebrews called that tabernacle a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Hebrews 8.5 Paul wrote, The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14.17 Fasting positions us to refocus our attention on the spiritual instead of the physical. To look beyond things like eating and drinking, and instead consider spiritual principles like righteousness, peace, and joy. Isaiah 58 describes the fast God has chosen. Verse 6. When we fast with our focus on the things that please God, He makes a beautiful promise. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall shine in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your soul in drought, and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places, you shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Isaiah 58 verses 9-12 through Earlier, we looked at how fasting points us toward a God who neither faints nor is weary, Isaiah 40, verse 28. That passage ends with a powerful promise. God says he will share that strength with us when we align ourselves with him. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Isaiah 40 verses 29 through 31. In a physical sense, fasting leaves us weak and empty. But spiritually, as we draw closer to our Father in heaven, it gives us access to a strength we could never have on our own.